Well, most, uh, most of God's work in the world is done by unnamed, unrecognized, unknown people. Most of the work that's done is done by people who are not celebrities. In fact, we make a, uh, we make a huge mistake when we equate celebrity with significance. That unless you're famous, unless you're well-known, you are not doing anything significant. Significance doesn't equate with celebrity. Uh, we all know of Rosa Parks. We know of Rosa Parks, and I'm just giving you this example because there's, if you know her story, you know there's so much more than just Rosa Parks. There are an unnamed, unrecognized, um, unknown people that had impact. While we know of Rosa Parks, there were many that we don't know about. So we all know of Rosa Parks. We know about the stand that she took. It was a chilly December evening, 1955 in Montgomery, Alabama. She sat down in the bus. She sat in the section that was marked for black people in the bus, the back half of the bus. But as the bus began to fill up with white people, the bus driver who had the legal right to do this, this is how they did it. This is how they made blacks sit in the back of the bank. They gave the bus drivers the legal right to move anyone they wanted to move. The bus driver asked her to move farther back so that white people wouldn't be sitting behind her. And so she refused. We know the story. And she was arrested. And because of her arrest, uh, there was a, a great impetus that came to the civil rights movement. And it wasn't just that, but it kicked off a whole series of events, including a boycott of public transportation in Montgomery, Alabama, that lasted 381 days. For 381 days, blacks in Montgomery, Alabama did not take public transportation. And she is a hero of American history. And she deserves to be a hero. She's a celebrity. She is known, a celebrity of sorts, because she's known for what she did. And not just for what she did, but how she handled everything that followed is what makes her into the hero that she is. But what we don't know are all the countless unknown, unrecognized uh, names that did so many things that made that action that day take significance and make a difference that went way beyond what she, what she did. What she did, what they did was significant without ever becoming known or without ever becoming celebrity. Um, for one thing, you just have to think of all the people that, that spoke into her life and helped her build the character that she had. The reason she was chosen as the one to be kind of the poster child of that movement was because of the type of character she had. So just think of her Sunday school teachers throughout her life. Think of, of, of her parents. Think of her friends. Think of her uh, family friends, the adults that were in her family that helped shape the character that, that she had. Uh, she wasn't the first one arrested. There were others that had been arrested. You don't know what their names are unless you go into the history books and, and look, or on Wikipedia, you can see what some of the names of some of the people that were arrested before her. She wasn't the first one. Other people had blazed a trail. She knew of those other people. It was something that they were waiting for the right person to stand up in this way to become kind of the poster child of, of, of what was happening. And so she knew of these other people. And, and although on that day she wasn't trying to be a hero or anything, she just said, I was just sick and tired of it. And, I'm just, and I was just tired. I didn't want to move. But she knew of these people who had blazed a trail, and they had modeled for her the action that she did. Those people are unknown now. Um, and then uh, with the boycott, the, public boy the boycott of public transportation, there were thousands of people that made that possible, made that uh, something that lasted for 381 days until things changed. It wouldn't have happened without all the other people. People from all over the country who sent shoes 
to Montgomery, Alabama, because people were going to be walking a lot more, and their shoes were old, and their shoes were going to be wearing out. There were the black taxi drivers who lowered their fare to the same fare as uh, the buses and got in a lot of trouble for it and you know, sometimes would lose their jobs because of that. And then there were hundreds of people behind the scenes. We don't think about what goes on behind the scenes. Hundreds of people behind the scenes. Leaders and foot soldiers who were organizing uh, carpools so that people could make it to work and wouldn't lose their jobs. Hundreds of people. Thousands of carpools happening every single day and being organized every single night for 381 nights. That's how things always get done. That's how it always gets done. Thank God for the standout celebrator leaders that we know. Those, those standout people that we know, those celebrities of history, would be completely ineffective without the help of countless of people that we don't know. We see the same dynamics in the book of Acts. Uh, in the story of the establishment of the church. That's what Acts is. It's a story of the establishment of the church. The first 30 years of the church after Jesus' resurrection, after his ascension to heaven, it tells us the story of how that worked. And one passage in Acts especially stands out. There's another one that equally so, but this passage that we're going to look at is one of the two passages that especially uh, get to this idea that there were all kinds of unnamed people who were making things happen. It wasn't all just the Pauls and the and the Barnabases and the Silases, it was unnamed people as well. So look at Acts chapter 11, beginning in verse 19. This is what it says. Now those who had scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Okay, so the church was established in Jerusalem, uh, pretty much stayed in Jerusalem, uh, until a persecution broke out, and then people scattered out because people were being arrested. And, you know, we know about Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, and we know that, that story, or most of us know that story. But it goes on, and it says this. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks, meaning non-Jews there is what it means, Me, speaking to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them. And a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. So this is the first time in the mission that apart from a special revelation from God, like Peter got to go to Cornelius, a Roman soldier, or like the, the special leading the Holy Spirit did for, uh, for Philip to go and preach to the Ethiopian eunuch, the only two Gentiles and, and the household of, of, of Cornelius at this point, everybody else is of Jewish descent, of Jewish religion, who believes that Jesus has come and, uh, and that Jesus is the Messiah that they have been waiting for up until this point. But here are these men from Cyprus and Cyrene, unnamed, unknown, unrecognized. Luke doesn't mention their names. Probably, commentators, historians say, probably because if he had mentioned their names, nobody would have recognized them. And so these are unnamed people who come into Antioch and begin to preach to non-Jews, and non-Jews begin to receive the gospel. And so this is a, 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 another hinge point in the entire book of Acts and in the history of the, Christian, uh, history of the Christian church. So they're unnamed. We don't know who they are, but they have this huge impact. And as you read the rest of the story, you see how it, 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 they had to deal with this and figure out what, what do we do with this? How do, we, how do we handle this? Significance doesn't equate with celebrity. 
And we need to remember this, we need to know this, that God's work is done by people like you and me. We're never going to be in any history books. I'm looking around. I don't think any of you are ever going to be in a history book. I'm never going to be in a history book. I know, because this is, this is all of us, unless you're one of the celebrities, 100 years from now, I won't even be remembered by my descendants. Maybe a picture with a name like, yeah, something, you know, I don't know. That's how it usually is. So, but we're the ones, the people who are not remembered, that most of the work of the gospel gets done. Most things of celebrity get done. We need to know this deep in our hearts because every day, every single day, God is setting us up for significance. Every day for doing something that is significant. Verse 21 again, the Lord's hand was with them and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Every day we have opportunities because the Lord's hand is with us. Because the same Holy Spirit that was guiding the church back then is guiding us as well. God is with us and he's calling us, giving, setting up divine appointments for us to love people around us. And then to extend the gospel, to, to, to tell people why we love them and to, to help people know Jesus, specifically to know Jesus. And it's not just the people around us. Through our partnerships, some of the partnerships that we have out there today, we have opportunities to extend our, our influence around the world with the gospel and with the love of Jesus everywhere. Significance doesn't equate with celebrity. So a few weeks ago, uh, Kevin Johnson, our impact director, he said, I want you to be our preacher for our impact weekend. So the last couple of years, we've had speakers from outside, and, uh, and that's what I wanted to have. I said, I, I think we need another voice in here. He said, no, 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 Henry, I want you. I said, well, Kevin, look into some names. I mean, ask around. I mean, I, I bet you there's some, some, some people, I, I specifically said some young guys that are really, you know, on fire for God with mission around the world, and we can get one of those, one of those guys in here. And, and um, he says, well, I'll check into it. And he came back really quick. He said, no, I, uh, I, I want you to speak. I said, Kevin, I'm going to be speaking. We're going to be preaching through Acts. I'm going to be talking about mission, like for weeks. I'm going to have all kinds of opportunities to speak into this subject. Can you, can you find someone else? We need another voice. He says, no, Henry, I want you. So I say kind of, kind of weird, you know, why would he want me? When I'm going to be speaking, and then it, then it hit me as we started to meet and talk about all this, what we were going to be ta- doing, I, I realized that he wanted me because I'm easier to, easier to manipulate than an outside speaker. <laughs> um, now, manipulate might be a, a strong word. Um, let's, let's just say that he uh, could force his agenda on me. <laughs> Is that softer? Maybe a little bit better. Uh, but as as it became obvious what he wanted to do to me, and uh, what he wanted to do, uh, what it became obvious to me, what he wanted to do, uh, I got really excited about this weekend. I think it takes our impact weekend to another level, and it takes our church to another place. I think it takes us as, as a congregation. It, it, it has the potential of impacting our lives in a, in a great way. So the basic idea, and we're going to watch a video right now. It's two minutes long that, uh, Kevin, that we shot with Kevin talking. So if you don't know who Kevin is, you'll be able to put a name with a face um, about what, what he's calling the impact journey. And the impact journey is a pathway. Uh, it's, it's a pathway for growing in the spiritual practices of impacting the world for Christ. And what I love about it is it takes us wherever we are right now, 
and, uh, and it helps us to take a step forward. So it doesn't, it doesn't say like, hey, everybody here ought to go to, uh, to Saudi Arabia this year and try to spread the gospel. And, you know, nothing like that, okay? So it takes us where we are and helps us to take a step forward. And it's a ready, set, go idea. And so some of us need to go into the ready. And actually, we need to be doing all three. We actually have to be doing all three in all of our lives because each one has a role uh, and has a way of getting the gospel out and of impacting the world for Christ. But ready are the simplest ones for us to get involved in. Uh, there are the kind of transactional things that we do, um, like maybe buying a bag of groceries for Union Gospel Mission, something like that. Uh, set gets us a little bit more relationally involved and then go uh, gets us in relationship. So I'm not going to talk about it anymore. I'll have Kevin uh, explain it to you, and then uh, we'll, we'll see what we do next. Let's go. Hi, Five Oaks family. I'm Kevin Johnson, Impact Director at Five Oaks Church. Welcome to the Impact Journey. You've now heard Pastor Henry talk about the Impact Journey, and I'm going to introduce you to the Impact Passport that will help to guide you on your journey. You can pick up your passport at the Impact Center in the Commons after the service. To review, the impact journey can be described in three words, ready, set, go. Ready is transactional impact, donating, packing meals, and so on. Set is connectional impact, to begin to personally engage those you are serving. For example, serving meals at Dorothy Day Center or the Hospitality Center for Chinese. Go is relational impact, to be personally engaged in an ongoing way. For example, being a Kids Hope mentor, a mentor to men or women at Union Gospel Mission, befriending an international student, or going on short-term mission trips. Your Impact Passport contains specific information on many ready, set, and go impact opportunities. In order to complete the impact journey, you will complete two ready opportunities, two set opportunities, and become engaged in one go opportunity by the end of 2019. When you complete each ready, set, or go opportunity, go to the Impact Center near the Acorn Cafe and pick up a ready, set, or go sticker and put it in your passport next to the description of that activity. Once you are done with your ready, set, and go activities, just follow the instructions in your passport and Five Oaks will donate $50 in your name to the charity of your choice. By the way, if you are already involved in Impact Activity, there are instructions in the front section of your passport on how to receive credit for what you are already doing. Please come along with us on your journey. It will transform your life as you help to transform the lives of others in the name of Jesus. We'll be glad to help you along on this journey. All right, so that's the impact journey. I wanna encourage you to go out there and get one of the, uh, one of the passports for that. And remember, if you do the 221, uh, $50 uh, toward a charity of your choice. So. Okay, so um, the people I have up here, let me, let me tell you who I have up here. Basically, they represent three go opportunities that we have for this year. These are short-term mission opportunities that we're putting to our congregation that we'd love to see. Some of you who are ready and God is calling you to do this, to get involved in one of these go opportunities. And so we have Craig McClung, who's a five oaker, and he works for Reach Global, the missions arm of our denomination. And uh, Craig is going to be talking about the Middle East, uh, so um, because he, that's an area that he works with. And then Ron Schlegel, he's a Five Oaker as well. And uh, as a volunteer leader within our church, he leads our Haiti ministry. 
And so uh, if you decide to go to Haiti, we'll have a Haiti team going. This year, we, actually, we have many Haiti teams going every year, but uh, we'll have one official one going, and, and Ron's the one that you would go with, and he would prepare you to go. He and his wife, Leslie, lead that ministry together. Uh, and then we have um, a Cuban pastor. He's uh, Pachi, and Pachi is the president of a denomination that we've been working with. Uh, for some years in partnership with the Global, Global Leadership Network. And so, um, uh, and also our denomination has been working with him as well. And then uh, 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 Alieski, <laughs> under pressure. Alieski is two people over from Pachi, and he's a pastor as well from Cuba, from a town named, uh, city named Camaway. Um, uh, Pachi is also a pastor in Havana. And then their interpreter, Rigo, is right here in the middle. He works with uh, Crew Urban uh, Ministry. And then Dave Barr, as a volunteer, leads our Cuban initiative. So he's all the way uh, on the right there. All right, so I have some questions because I think a lot of times we think, well, that's, you know, maybe that's uh, going on a short-term missions trip. That may be a little bit too much for me. And I just want to show you this, that anybody can do this. You can do this, and you can be a part of this, and it can have uh, an incredible impact on your life. So uh, my first question, this is to everyone, is that if someone in our church were to join a team that goes to Cuba, the Middle East, or Haiti, uh, what kind of work could they expect to be doing while they're there? Well, for us, the Syrian refugee ministry, uh, teaching English, teaching in a Christian academy, even some medical work as doctors and nurses. And uh, we also tell people that uh, if you have, gifting and, you have giftings and, and uh, experience and life skills, we can use those and create those in those particular ways. If you want to know more about the specific countries, you can talk to me at the table afterwards. All right, well, regardless of where you are at in your uh, walk with Christ, uh, regardless of what you think you may have for skills, um, God can use you in the mission field in Haiti. Uh, every trip that we take is different. Uh, it all depends on the makeup of the team that God brings to us. Uh, but what we are typically doing is uh, teaching, uh, spending time with the kids, uh, handing out Feed My Starving Children packets, seeing the beauty of Haiti, uh, and of course sharing the gospel. And um, we also have needs for medical and dental, um, engineering, uh, mechanical, electrical, and even farming. So you can use your skills in a variety of ways there. And in Cuba, as you probably know, a couple of years ago, we were involved in Cuba getting the Global Leadership Summit launched in Santa Clara, Cuba. And that was a success. We're done with that. So we're starting a new, a new journey now in Cuba. Um, in partnership with Reach Global, there's an organization called the Cuba Consortium. It's an organization of churches that are basically organized to support Pachi and Alieski and the Los Pinos Nuevos uh, denomination in Cuba. And we're still figuring out what that means. We're gonna join up with Reach Global and figure that out. We're anticipating uh, needs like construction, uh, training, developing training and delivering training to the leaders in Cuba. And then also uh, English as a second language is a, is a high need as well. So we're anticipating something like that, but it's something that we're gonna figure out over the next few weeks and months. And we're hoping to do a trip yet this year. So Alieski, I'll uh, ask you this question in particular, uh, as the only person you and Bachi as the only two people up here that are actually in the country to which we're going. What difference does it make uh, for you when uh, a ministry comes in? How does it impact your ministry when a team comes from another country 
and works there. Lo primero que es una oportunidad única de servir juntos al Señor. The first thing is to, um, it's a unique opportunity to serve the Lord. Eh, no solamente a la iglesia, sino también a la comunidad. Not just to the church, but to the community. Eh, también es una oportunidad para edificar la iglesia en Cuba. There's also opportunity to build a church in Cuba. Ya sea por la enseñanza, el evangelismo, o alguna otra manera. It could be for uh, teaching if, or through evangelism or any other, or any other way. También eh, ocurre que es eh, un, una oportunidad para relaciones con creyentes de otra cultura. It's also uh, an opportunity to create a relationship with uh, people from other culture. Y uno puede ver eh, cómo otros creyentes viven su fe en Cristo. And we can see how the uh, believers uh, live their life in Christ. Cómo aman a Dios, cuáles son sus desafíos. How they love God and what are their challenges. Eh, cómo ellos están llevando el evangelio. How they're bringing the um, gospel to others. Y algo que he escuchado de personas que han visitado Cuba. And I hear about people tell me about when they have visited Cuba before. Dice, no solamente hemos venido a, a compartir. We not just came to, to share. Eh, nosotros eh, hemos sido más beneficiados de, de lo que pensábamos. We have been benefited more than we, we thought. Nuestra vida ha sido transformada. Our life has been transformed. Y la manera en que apoya nuestro ministerio. In the way that they support our, our ministry. Lo primero es que hay relaciones que perduran. Uh, there is relationship that really uh, long lasting. Para nosotros es muy importante esto. For us it's really important. Eh, porque hay una compañía en el ministerio. Because there is something uh, that we are both working together on the ministry. Eh, lo segundo es que es la, la oportunidad para eh, enriquecer el ministerio. And there also uh, there's uh, opportunity to enrich uh, the ministry. Eh, con ideas nuevas. With new ideas. Eh, formas de hacer el ministerio eh, que pueda tener mayor impacto. A ways that we can work together to impact the ministry better. Y lo tercero que es muy estratégico para desarrollar la, la obra de Dios. And the last thing is to really uh, enrich the, the work of God through this ministry. Gracias. Thank you. So, um, my next question is for uh, Craig and for Ron, um, because I think sometimes uh, the poverty in Haiti can be a little bit scary and there's sometimes unrest and some things like that. Um, we think of the Middle East, we think of it as being a, a dangerous place. So how do, you, how do you speak to that? Ten months ago I sat in the home of Syrian refugee family and our translator staff worker turned this situation to spiritual issues and he asked, where do you get your hope? And the Syrian mom and uh, wife said, I hope to go back to Syria and find my husband missing for five years. The oldest son, Sultan, gave a haunting answer to that question, where is your hope? He said, I have no hope. There are millions of Muslims around the world that would give a similar answer to like that simply because they do not know that Christ is the eternal everlasting hope. Transformation is found in that hope in, in Christ. And so when God calls you, me, or anybody else to go to a place like the Middle East, those fears and those anxieties subside knowing that God's called us there that these people are made in the image of God and they need Jesus as their hope. Uh, yeah, Haiti's a poor country. In fact, it's the poorest country in the Northern Hemisphere. And when you see poverty at that level, it can be shocking and heartbreaking. I know it was for me when I first went there. 
Um, one of the things that we've learned in taking many trips is that planning and communication are key as well as safety for the team. Um, we work very closely with the team to kind of get them acclimated to what to expect in Haiti. I know like when Leslie and I first went in 2011, we didn't know what to expect. You know, it was the fear of unknown, fear of, you know, are, is it going to be safe? So we really work hard to get the team involved, uh, talk about what we're going to be doing specifically, show them exactly what uh, we're going to be doing and what things are like down there. And, uh, you know, it makes it easier too because we have interpreters, we have security, um, we go to safe parts of the country, so, you know, we, we have a clear plan when we're there, so. All right, thank you. So to uh, Pachi, um, Cuba is a communist country, and uh, what are the relations like between the church and the government now there? Hay dos principios que dominan la relación entre el Estado y la Iglesia en Cuba. There are two principles that domain the relationship between the church and the government in Cuba. Uno es el principio de que es necesario obedecer a Dios antes que a los hombres. The first one, the principle is to obey God before we obey man. Y, y este es un principio que se da en todas, en todas las, las culturas, pero especialmente en Cuba. And this is a principle that people use in all cultures, but especially in Cuba. El segundo principio es oramos por nuestros gobernantes como lo manda la Biblia. A second principle is to pray for our government just like the Bible tells us to do. Cada domingo en nuestras iglesias se levanta una oración a Dios pidiendo sabiduría a nuestros gobernantes. Every Sunday we um, start praying for the wisdom of the government. Dice la Biblia que en la paz de la ciudad está nuestra paz. The Bible teaches that the, the peace of the, the peace of the, I'm sorry, La, la paz, en la paz de la ciudad está nuestra paz. The Bible teaches that the, the peace of the city is our peace. Y eso significa que mientras Dios le da sabiduría a los gobernantes, la ciudad vive en paz. And that means that God gives uh, wisdom to the government, it is a peaceful city. Y oramos para que el evangelio llegue también a ellos. And we also pray for, so the gospel reaches them too. Es la manera en la que ellos pueden entender el amor de Dios. It's the only way that they can understand the love of God. Gracias. And Ron, uh, what impact has it had on your own life uh, going to, to Haiti? Yeah, certainly going to Haiti has been life-changing for me, uh, as well as Leslie. I know it's been life-changing for people that we've brought there on trips. It's been... It's had a tremendous impact on many number of people in the church here. Um, but for me, I remember many years ago, I prayed to God to just uh, use me for his kingdom work. You know, use the gifts and talents that he had given me and take me to a foreign land. And there's an opportunity for Haiti and it came up. And, um, you know, I wanted to give back. And I realized that doing this trip was the next step in the connect deep and impact process for me and uh little did i realize that the impact it would have on my life it, it's been an amazing change for me and uh, it's giving me humility uh, joy and peace in my life and a sense of purpose and being able to share that with other teams that we bring has is, is really been a neat part of it because they get connected they often are sponsoring children and doing other things beyond just that trip so it's really neat 
All right, thank you, Ron. Well, let's, uh, let's give a big thank you to them. All right, thank you, guys. Let me just uh, wrap it together with a couple, couple of thoughts uh, for you uh, about significance and celebrity, how it is that God uses the unnamed, the unrecognized, the unknown uh, to impact the world, to, to make a significant difference in the world. So how do they do that? One, one of the ways that we do that is we choose joy. And choosing joy, I'm, I'm, I'm contrasting that with choosing pleasure. I mean, there's, there's scientific studies now that have come out about the difference chemically within our bodies when we choose pleasure versus when we choose happiness and joy. And so choosing joy always costs something. It costs maybe our time. It might cost some of our money. It might cost some of our freedom. Uh, but when we, when we are willing to pay a cost for choosing joy and choosing happiness and choosing significance, uh, it has long-lasting effects, whereas choosing pleasure is something that has diminishing returns in our life. We're a culture that chooses pleasure over happiness and joy, I mean, in growing and growing amounts. Uh, but when we're going to make a significant difference, we choose joy um, over maybe some temporary pleasure because nothing of significance happens without, um, without giving up some short-term pleasures uh, for long-term joy. So the second way that we can do that is by going for the glory. By going for the glory. And I don't mean going for our glory, but going for the glory of God. And Jesus told his disciples, if you follow me, uh, it'll cost you something. But you will be bringing glory to God. If you do the things that I told you to do, you're going to be bringing glory to God. But understand this, God will share his glory with you. And so that's how we go for the glory. And then the last way is that we take a risk and a risk begins with one step. And so that one step might be a ready um, type of activity in our lives. It's going to cost us something. Uh, but it might be, for, for some, it might be to move towards set, where it, cre where, where it gets more face-to-face -face and more personal with someone. And then finally, go, which, which really means an ongoing relationship or a really deep uh, dive into uh, a ministry that is going to be face the face with people. So I want to encourage all of you, before today is over, we're going to get done in the service early. I want to encourage you to, on your way out, to spend some time in the commons. You will be out early enough to be able to, even before you get your kids, still try to get your kids, you know, by about, let me see, about 10 after or so. Uh, but you'll have some time and go check out all the different exhibits that are out there uh, when you leave here today. So let's, let's pray together.